Greetings, Quester, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Medicine Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. And in games this week, what are we going to be talking about, Richard? Uh, one of the games we're going to be talking about is Vast, the Crystal Caverns. And we're also going to be talking about Archer, once you go blackmail, which you've talked about before, but now we've actually played it. Yeah. Yeah, um, in music news, uh, me and Matt will be talking about some new albums coming out this month. And in Tome Talk, we're going to be talking about The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. And in Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, we're going to be addressing the age-old question, who would win in a battle, an Imperial Star Destroyer or the USS Enterprise? So, what's everybody been doing this week? Um, well, I've read quite a bit of science this week, which has been pretty cool. Well, actually, no, I... Um, I found I had a few credits on Audible, so there were some really good books out lately. And just while I was doing this stuff, I um, listened to Lawrence Krauss's um, The Greatest Story Ever Told So Far. That's it. Okay. I learned a lot about what they're doing to the Large Hadron Collider, so now I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, are they actually opening a black hole that's going to destroy oh, the no. universe no that didn't happen no it was fine the well man... i know it didn't happen <laughs> is it going to happen no, no no that was only that was only a slight kind of worry when they first switched it on but it's fine <laughs> but i have i have to admit it's one of those situations though because people were saying you know will it or won't it destroy the universe mm-hmm. and i kind of verge on the side of if there's a chance it's going to destroy the universe, what, then don't do it. Then maybe it's a good, not a good idea to do it. Yeah, I think the yeah it was very yeah. I I don't know why people thought that it might, but yeah, it's um it's about pushing boundaries, like like in um in Discworld when Ponda Stibbins makes the um the very big machine. That's <laughs> um it doesn't matter what boundaries get pushed, it's just the pushing that's important. So yeah. Well there's been <clears> times <throat> when I've pushed boundaries, but you know, I have been told, for example, I've got to keep my book covered in public. <laughs> there's a boundary yeah. I've pushed on a number of occasions. No yeah. no one's been happy that I've pushed that boundary. When people call you sir when they ask you to leave. So <laughs> yeah. that's the one benefit. Not always. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But what's everybody else been doing? Um, the well, the audio book I've been listening to this week is Raising Steam. Oh, cool! By yeah. Terry Pratchett. Mm. It's actually probably the only Discworld book I've never actually got round to reading. But mm. I think that was because I got it to to read, um, and then put it on a shelf, and then Terry Pratchett died, oh, and I felt too sad. I felt too sad to open it and yeah. read it. It was kind of like you know. It's it's kind of weird. There's certain things I do this with. It's the same when I watch the go, when I go back and rewatch my Firefly DVDs. Mm. I kind of yeah. get to the last episode in the series, and I do the yeah. same time with books. Sometimes, if the authors yeah. uh, mm. died, I get to the last book in the series, and it's almost like I don't want to have the experience of this last thing mm. because then there's no more you didn't let me see yeah. the last episode of firefly until like second or third time we watched the whole season yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's kind of like i can't do this too kind of it's kind of like once yeah. once you've done that it's over mm. you know it's yeah. over and it's ended and there's not going to be any more yeah um whereas why you've always got that one last one to read 
it's not over. Mm. I know that probably sounds a little bit weird, but I well, know yeah. because I I did the same, but <laughs> I've read an extra book and I read Raising Steam, and yeah. then but I read The Shepherd's Crown, which he at least just oh. That, that was the last one, wasn't very, it? That was the very, very um, last one, wasn't it? But I saved the last chapter for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. I read most of it and then not the last bit. So. Although, funny enough, the, the I have done it the other way around at times, where it's like with uh, the Wheel of Time series, when the last book came out, I kind of wanted to do something special with it because I've been waiting so long to get to oh, the end did. of the story. <laughs> so, I mean, I remember saying to, to Heather, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going off with yeah. this book. I'm going into my study don't disturb me unless it's a crisis. And I sort of like went in with a bottle of whiskey and just uh, dimmed the lights and just had the evening. I lit, yeah, I lit candles. Started and reading just... it really loud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and chanting. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I remember walking in a few hours later and I swore there was a single tear coming down your cheek. <laughs> manly tear. It was a yeah. manly tear. It was, it, it was, it was the last battle. It was quite, um, it was quite something. It was quite something. I've not seen it ready yet. Yeah, it was it was something all right. So I've been doing yeah, that's I've been listening to Raising yeah. Steam. I've also been working on my next anthology. Oh yeah, the poetry. Quite a bit. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I've got my oh, second uh poetry anthology. Uh I've completed that now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just waiting for the, the, the final proofs back before oh, that good. goes to publication. Mm-hmm. Um and other than that I've just been Running around with the kids—that's been, that's been my. I've been playing a lot of Star Wars Battlefront. Wild and free. Oh, yeah. I don't the the new trailer came out at the weekend because it was Star Wars Celebration. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, there was quite a lot of trailers to do with the Battlefront Two. Battlefront two. There was a little and yelp of yay from this room. Battlefront <laughs> Two looked awesome. I did I did say to Heather that when I saw the trailer because it's coming out at the end of November. Mm-hmm. Um, don't expect to see me for about a month. Well, apart from obvious Medicine Meeple's recordings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be around for Medicine Meeple's recordings and I'll, I'll have to take a break to play a board game every now and then. But other than that, See, I'll be... Matt's games are board games and Battlefront. Yeah. It's got a PS4, but it's just a Battlefront machine. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I have played a lot of other games in the past. It's just, I've, for the last few months, I've been on a bit of a Battlefront craze. I've just been wanting to play well, Battlefront all the time. It's online. I mean, you, need to you get to play with other friends as well online, don't you? So it's quite nice to. Yeah. Uh, but that's us for now, so let's get on with the show. So now we're going to be taking a look at Archer Once You Go Blackmail. And uh, now this is a Love Letter game by AEG. Anyone familiar with the Love Letter games will be very familiar with how it plays. I did do. A, a components overview of this game for my King of Nerds yeah, page and channel. I think I thought some guy did a video about this. Yeah, yeah. some weird, <laughs> weird lonely loner doing a video all by himself. But... Well, you had your wife operating the camera, so it's <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, that was quite a fun experience. <laughs> Somebody was there. It's not like you were all on your own with your cats. No, no, which was I have been for. But, a good bit of the afternoon before you came. But in. you hadn't got anybody <laughs> to actually play the game with yet, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a little bit lonely. Yeah. But now you have played the game. Yeah. So this, I can now actually give a view on the game in the component zone of overview, which if you're interested, you can go and you can look on uh, our meeples.com uh, website under the Meeple Shorts, the King of Nerds Meeple Shorts. 
the there is a video on there where I explain how how the the rules of the game work, how the game's played, and show you all the various components and how they relate to the series. Mm-hmm. So feel free to pause this, go watch that, and then come back if you so desire. Uh, but just to break it down, it's a card game. There's only, I think, about 16 cards in this or something like that altogether. There's not, yeah, there's not very many. Not many at all. Uh, different quantities for each one. If you're familiar with some of the other Love Letter games, you'll see ver- very clearly how some of these roles work, but there are some uh, minor differences as well. I'm not familiar with the other Love Letter games, yeah. but this is very fun. Yeah, well, I personally, I mean, I bought this. I didn't. I don't particularly like the Love Letter games, mm-hmm. but I bought this because I love Archer. Right. And Archer makes me laugh, and we watch Archer together, and me and Heather watch Archer together, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just a, a you know hilarious. And this is one of those games where if you know the source material, you get so much more out of it well, because think, yeah. you can see like the pictures and you get a lot more satisfaction by shouting Lana at people. And well, that's the thing we're doing know. stuff that just reminds us of the program and, exactly. But if you're not, if you don't like Archie, if you're not that familiar with it, there's not that much reason to get it and play it. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I have played yeah. this with other people. Who have never seen Archer, yeah, don't know anything about Archer, and they've still enjoyed the game and they've had fun. Yeah, so because, it's well, in a way we've already got in jokes about it. Yeah, and then they just get in on that, and it's really, like the screaming Lana at each other. There's no reason to do that <laughs> in the game, but we just we do it anyway because Archer does it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a fun game. Well, ultimately, uh, you're trying to get some of these little uh, dolphin tokens that it's got got there yeah, the human resources dolphin that, yeah uh, which pam has pam poovy uses <laughs> in cases situations she has reasons for using the the dolphins yeah. well she? people have to talk to that don't they yeah they have to talk to the dolphin someone's been inappropriate with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a human resources thing mm-hmm. so the aim of the game is to win a round and if you win a round you get a dolphin once you get the correct number of dolphins you win the game yeah it's different depending the amount of people into it yeah so like you may be as little as getting four of these dolphins or you may have to get six dolphins Mm. um and the the way the game is played is very simple because you start with one card in your hand and all you're doing is you're drawing a card playing one of your two cards and applying the effects yeah so you can learn it within minutes yeah you basically have a choice between two things to do yeah it is so simple Mm. uh but it is as I say, when I did my video before, I really liked the look of, of it and I was excited to play it mm. because I was sure it was going to be fun. I've played it and it is so much fun. It is. It, more yeah. so with people that like Arch because, as you say, you've got the in-jokes. Even without that, it's still fun to play. Yeah, it's basically a little bit like poker in that you're trying to guess what the other person has. But they've oh, yeah, got a lot one of the card. Time. It's like one card poker. So it's like a very simple version. But so many hands of it because mm. like if there's not many players then you are like you say trying to get like six dolphins or something like that so um the rounds can be quite quick aren't yeah. they and then somebody gets dolphin and then we all start again and sometimes it can be very very quick i mean me and you have even played it two player and uh the rounds finished on the first first <laughs> yeah. card almost you just try and guess something else's card or something yeah if you have or... the archer card you guess which one the the blackmail card is which is the face down one yeah and if you get that on the first try it's fine if you've got the civil one then you whip it out uh that's always funny Crazy. to tell people <laughs> yeah so basically 
you play that one and then you each have to show what your other card is. So you, you mm. have one more card in your hand and whoever's got the highest number wins. And if there's only two of you, yeah. that wins you the dolphin. Absolutely. Uh, so it can be very quick to play. So it's very fun. You try, There's a lot of it is trying to guess or work out from cards that have been uh, played already who's got what cards and mm. you're trying to base that maybe on some of the numbers of cards that are in a game. So yeah. you're thinking, well... One Pampuvi's already been played, so has is the other Pampuvi in somebody's hand? Is it still in the deck? Yeah. Is it the hidden identity card? And if if no one wins by the time all the cards have been played, it's just whoever's got the highest value card at the end of the round. Yeah. So it's very quick, very easy to play. It's very fun to play. You get more from this if you um, if you've got, if you're a fan of Archer anyway, which is. Series 8 is now back, by the way, if that's the case, if you're a fan. You've got various other types of love letter, haven't you? But I think this kind of game works best when it's something funny that you're doing. Because it is so... It is so good to play just with friends and um, and just to have a laugh. Whereas the other ones seem like they might be a little bit more serious. And I don't think this kind of mechanic lends itself Well, well to that. A lot of the mechanics in this are very, very much the same as the Batman love letter which is uh one i've got this is just so much more fun even though i'm a huge batman fan yeah this is just so much more fun to play yeah. uh the other one I like batman flux i think that works a bit better yeah yeah love letters better with archie but as i say i mean i've got three different normal love letter yeah i've got three different editions of this but this is one of my go-to quick games Especially with lighter gamers, because it's one that they don't have to stress about the rules or anything for. After it's a so few simple. hands, you've learnt all the cards. Yeah, so. I mean, and you know how to play it within your first hand, really. So, and you get these little list of cards as well, which tells you what the card values are, which card identity is, what its ability is, and how many of them are in the game. So you've got that straight in front of you to help you work all that out. I think the Mallory one is quite interesting because if you get that one, you have to keep it in your hand. Don't you? Yeah, if you discard <laughs> that, you for any reason. Well, because obviously you pick up, you end up on your turn with two cards, and you choose one to discard. Yeah. If you choose to discard that, you're out. If you're yeah. forced to discard it, because some it's cards will make you, you can make other players discard their hand and draw a new card, and if they've got to discard that, they're out of the game. I just think it's so thematic, like the way Archer's stuck with Mallory and he has to work with her and everything. <laughs> Mother, this you definitely, if you want to be in a uh, super secret spy agency, maybe working for your mother isn't the best thing. Should make your code name the Duchess. Yeah. <laughs> <After> the dog. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So that is a Archer Love Letter. This is a great game. Yeah. Totally. Highly recommend this one, especially over any other of the of the Love Letter editions. Because they suck. Welcome to the Quest Report, and today we're going to be talking about Vast, the Crystal Caverns. And this is a a fantasy-based game, and it's one where each player takes on the role of, well, basically, I would say a different faction, but sometimes it's factions, sometimes it's characters, and sometimes it's an inanimate object. (laughs) So there's this cave um, with many crystals in it, and there's a sleeping dragon in there as well, and a knight goes into this cave, Trying, you trying to slay the dragon, or just collect crystals, or kill the thief. There's a thief as well. Uh, I can't remember exactly knight, what they're knight, meant to be doing. 
there's there's five roles, isn't there? You've got yeah, yeah, the yeah. knight who's trying to slay the dragon. Yeah, but she. Oh no. Yeah, she's trying to kill the dragon, and you're trying to kill. You're trying to eat I'm goblins. Trying to, I'm I'm trying to escape. Yeah, basically. I, I played the dragon, and I was just trying to. Goblins. I have to. I have to wake up. This yeah. is my job for the game. I have to wake up, and, and then, then get out there. Yeah, but the way I have to wake up is that you start off with like a certain amount of powers and abilities, and then you get to essentially upgrade your dragon mm-hmm. uh, by moving. In which case, you move cubes off one track and put them onto another. Which oh, yeah, we're getting very technical you. now. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> There is, there's the dragon, the knight, the thief, the goblins, and the cave. And the cave. That's it. Okay. And I do love that people can play as the cave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that is a pretty good aspect of this game. But the fact that you've had to just kind of try to... Well, you were explaining how you be the dragon, and I had no clue about how you be the dragon. Um, that is one of the issues that I had with this game when we played <laughs> it. So I was the goblins, and Heather was the knight. Yeah. So it was a three-player game. And when you do play a three-player game, then you have to kind of be the cave together, don't we? So yeah. basically the thief was doing nothing in this one. Didn't you have can play thief. a three-player game with the cave. There's so many different permutations that you can do it. But right, it just affects yeah. how each one interacts quite mm. dramatically. I mean, if, if, if I wasn't in the game, Heather wouldn't be trying to kill me. No. She'd have to go around and collect crystals. Yeah. So there are ways of playing with any of the different roles in, involved. Mm-hmm. It's just it completely changes everything around you as to your objectives and how the game yeah. works. Yeah, so when you're the, the knight, because you know, I saw Heather doing that, it's basically like an RPG, isn't it? Yeah, so she that had seemed this, very this much board, like And she had these cubes on it. And she could change different stats, couldn't she, depending on what she did. Yeah. And she had a little infantry thing. She could gain cubes by upgrading her character, couldn't she? And then she could mm. spend, and she could allocate those cubes on each turn to where she wanted. Yeah. Uh, so she could upgrade. So it wasn't like a permanent. Well, I've done this, and now, now I wish I hadn't. I, on your next turn, you can then move some of those cubes around again. Yeah, yeah. She could change it a bit then. Which is a a good design feature, I think. Yes, and I was being the goblins, and that is basically like um, controlling clans, isn't it? Mm. So. I've put these guys up here. So here we have the Eye Tribe, the Bone Tribe, and the Fangs Tribe. And they're basically like my three little characters that I can move around. They can mm. either be hidden, where they're on the board um, with me, or they can be out in the cave, and I can move them around like that. Um, but I kind of keep track of their population on my little board. They can become overpopulated, and that's pretty annoying. Um, then one of them has to kind of disband and not disperse, yeah. didn't they? Um, and whatever you do, your your tribes do disperse regularly, don't they? Because they have to they do or scatter. Yeah. And they have to come off the board and they lose some of their population and everything. Um, and it's basically anything that they do, if they attack somebody or if they get attacked, yeah. they end up scattering, don't they, afterwards? They're all very temporary, mm. the goblin tribes. They basically come together for an attack and then they all run off. And actually, I think that fits very thematically into the story of what's going on here with yeah. all these different factions. And if you watch any... Uh, fancy films with goblins or anything like that or read any of the books mm. they don't come out and make a big stand and, and fight in a shield war no. they strike and then disappear it's as soon as anything happens yeah. Thing, yeah so and I had I... these little counters for the population which I was stacking up yeah at the start of every turn I had to take this war card out and whichever number it had next to different tribes I had to add that amount of population if we got up mm. at four then they all scatter so yeah that was um, that was always always happening 
right, so that was the goblins. So I was basically running around in the shadows and attacking and running. Um, so what was it like to play as the dragon? It was interesting. Um, I have to admit, I was kind of trying to focus on what I was doing. I was watching what you and Heather were doing. But I didn't know a lot of the time. I was trying to work out what your role was, what Heather's role was, what you were doing and why. Yeah. But it was kind of like you were playing one game, Heather was playing another game, and I was playing a completely different game. So for me, yeah. I had my, my dragons, and my dragon starts off uh, as a slumbering dragon. And I have to, first thing I have to do is awaken him, which means I have to get him to uh, a certain level. I think it's 11 upgrades he's got to get to be able to uh, do that. And you can upgrade several times on one turn if things go the right way for you right, yeah. one of the main things problems i had is that i had to kill goblins oh i, I was never there goblins, and you were never there because you come out and attack heather and then disappear back into the shadows so by the time i i mean i think i only got to eat three or four goblins in the entire yeah game. Well, sometimes you got to eat a couple at once but most of the time there's no goblins around no there was, there was none so i had to do other things to try and get my upgrades and it is possible to do that because you can get uh, upgrades for not moving for uh, doing different things so that wasn't a huge issue I might, did manage to awaken my dragon but it did take me longer because I had right. planned on eating many goblins um, mm. I had an appetite for goblins that... yeah we just didn't stick of them no no which is probably a good thing with it the, when there's a dragon mm. I could understand why the goblins didn't want to get eaten so yeah. I had to get my character to this level and once I'd got to this level I then had to escape from the cave that meant I had to go from the where from the lair uh, underground to the surface first which meant I had to go to one of the crystal tiles and then spend a turn going from underground to the surface right. and then once that had happened I could start making my way towards the exit so I made my way to a, a crystal near the exit and I was about to have my turn <laughs> and escape the cave oh yeah <laughs> And somebody and deliberately it... collapsed the entire cave system. <laughs> oh, the cave was collapsing in on us. Really. <laughs> Someone decided that we should all lose instead of me oh, winning. And to be fair, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, that was the right tactical <laughs> move because we couldn't have won. So yeah, collapsed the cave. So basically, like you said, it was like playing three different games. It's it like is, we were all playing different ones. I do like asymmetrical games where every role, every faction plays differently. Mm. You know you know how much I love Chaos in the Old World and other games like that with a very asymmetrical well, faction. Chaos in the Old World is more like we each have different bonuses, but we're all playing the same game. This very well, the, much ru the rules, different. the general rules apply the same, don't they? It's just yeah. that we've all got... We advance in different ways and and do different things. Yeah. But with this, every it's like five games in one. Every role is so different to the other roles that by the end of the you know I knew what I was doing in the game. I didn't know what you were doing half the time. I didn't know what Heather was doing half yeah. the time. I think I would probably enjoy playing from what I saw your roles because I like the idea of the the goblins coming out and striking and disappearing and those guerrilla tactics. I like that. Yeah. And I also, I like RPGs, so I love the idea of playing like Heather was. The knight the... was the one that I thought looked the most interesting to play. Uh, like you say, like an RPG. But then she basically had us playing as the baddies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rather than play diff completely different games. Which, in, in, to be fair, 
you know, compared to Heather, we are the baddies. So. <laughs> Normally, yeah, yeah, just just in general life. Yeah, but... yeah, we're not talking about games anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but that was the problem that I, I thought with it because, like you said, you didn't really know what me and Heather were doing. Mm. I had no idea what you were doing. Like you said that it was annoying when I kept on my goblins were always like hiding in the shadows mm. and stuff. I didn't know that I was making the problem for you doing that. <laughs> I mean, I was just kind of... You'd have probably done it anyway if you had that. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, I wanted my guys to be back here on the board. Yeah. So I could use my... They, each tribe had their own little special move they could yeah. do. So I wanted to do them rather than come out because that would have used my entire move. Mm. Um. So that's why there wasn't many goblins on the board. Um, so probably, yeah, probably by a fluke that kind of worked mm. out okay. And I was mostly attacking Heather, but like any one of you could have been doing all kinds of crazy things with the rules, and I would have mm. been none the wiser. Yeah, um, not that I'm suspicious of people. It's just that um, you like to be able to keep an eye on what other people are doing, so you know mm. who's winning and like what they might do next, and you like to feel like you are actually. Uh, understanding what's going on in the game yeah. whereas in this game I think you'd need to play it so many times to be able to get that and play as each role I was going to say I think you need to play as each role to be able to really understand mm. the game and in some ways that's I mean for some people that's going to be a good thing Some for some people that's going to be a bad thing mm. I mean for me I think I've got a game here which is going to take probably more plays than I'm going to give it before I get bored of it because there's mm. so many different roles I mean I'd, I'd like to play as a different factor a different role every time until I've played them all yeah and then I know what they're all doing and I can then go back and, and think about different strategies and try different things but yeah. also the way because of the way the roles work if I play a game where I'm the dragon and you're the cave and Heather's the thief mm. which is all all doable we, I'd, we'd come back to this and I'd be playing against a completely different set up of uh, yeah. people. You have different be, goals, basically. You, you? There's so there's there's a lot of different permutations here. So I think there is a great deal of game in this to explore. Now, am I going to give it the chance? Mm. I enjoyed it. I would play it again. I'm not going to be racing to get it back to the table. Yeah, I don't think it's worth that many plays. Now it's difficult for us to say now because we mm. just played it that one time with that one permutation, but. Um, I would want the game to feel like it had a bit more depth before I was going to do that. Mm. Um, I know it, it shouldn't matter too much, but it's like the artwork makes it seem like a much lighter game than it actually yeah. is. And I think it's almost it, kiddified, isn't it? The way the yeah, but obviously with it being cartoony, that's fine, and it's very stylized, but. I would like it to look a little bit more kind of ominous and more mm. like you could really feel immersed in it yeah. before I was going to play it the amount of times that's necessary to get to know it. It didn't feel... I mean, I, I say some of the way that, like, when I was watching you as the goblins, mm. the way you were playing felt thematic to the game. Yeah. But when I was playing my role as a dragon, it didn't feel like what I was doing was that thematic. I mean, yeah. for my turn, I was basically, sweet. yeah, I was basically drawing a hand of cards mm. and I would play cards in different combinations mm -hmm. to use different dragon abilities. Now, that sounds really cool. In essence, what it means is I'm matching up symbols on the cards and rolling a dice to see what happens. Now, the dice is a six sided dice. It's called the oh, dragon yeah, die. Yeah, it was just, yeah. uh, it's a red die and it's got little uh, white patterns on each side which mm. show 
what tiles are affected by what you've just done. It looked like a normal day until you really look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'd say, right, well, I'm going to try and claw at some goblins, for example, if there were goblins there. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd spend some cards to take that action, and I'd roll the dice and see if the squares that were affected by, by what I did mm. actually were the squares I wanted to be affected. Because yeah, it might be a completely different was. square. Mm. Now... Statistically, yeah, on a, it's kind of like you're rolling a dice to see if you've got a successful attack. But at the same time, I can't help but think, if I'm a dragon and I'm you're in front of me and I want to swipe at you, I'm not going to then turn around and swipe at something over here by mistake. Yeah, you know, it it didn't really fit, even though it was interesting in and of itself. And That's if you roll dragon. and the symbol that you're on comes up, then it's automatically you know a failure. It's like rolling a one. Right, but it just it just didn't it's different mm. and i like things that are a bit different mm -hmm. but it, at times with things like that it didn't make sense now some of the powers that i was using where i was like flaming everything around me that made a little bit more sense to see because you kind of go okay well you're flaming everything but naturally some areas are going to be more uh damaged than more others if you're just yeah. flailing out and attacking although the dragon was kind of sleepwalking at that time wasn't it he was that might be what was going on but, I mean, after wandering around a cave for a while, he would wake up. So that seems a little bit less... Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know how difficult it is to wake up after a few hours sleep at night. If I've been sleeping for hundreds of years, it's probably going to take me a lot longer to... And yeah. bear in mind, this dragon does not have coffee. Yeah, he's just, he's just got thing. goblins to eat. Yeah. But... It depends if the goblins are drinking coffee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it could be go go <laughs> coffee-flavoured goblins. <laughs> Yeah, as long as they're not decaffeinated goblins, it'll be all right. Then but, he gets really invaded. Yeah. <laughs> but I just didn't feel like I. It's not that I didn't enjoy it; it just didn't thrill me. And I kind of think, yes, I would kind of like to try some of the different roles. Mm. But at the same time, would I be excited if someone said to me, "I want to come around and play Vast," compared to some of the other board games in my collection? Mm. Yeah, probably it... wouldn't. It, yeah, it seems more like a casual game, but it requires so much more work than any other game. I mean, I was thinking because I've got some friends who so. I've got I've got different groups of people that I play games with, and I was thinking, what? well, when this game, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the secret, my secret is out. <laughs> He's betrayed. Um, I've got different groups of people that I play games with, and I was thinking when I looked at the art and things like that, oh, this is probably a game I could play with some of the younger gamers. But actually, this is a lot more complex, as you say, than I, I gave it credit for initially. And yeah. I, I do think it would go over the heads of quite a few people. And the thing is, as well, I like to, when I've got people playing a game, especially for the first time, if they're maybe not as experienced as other gamers, mm. I kind of like to be able to think, right, well, I know exactly what how the game works. I know how everything works. So if they've got any questions, or if, you know, I can address them straight away. If they're struggling, I can maybe help, at least at the beginning of the game, to maybe help explain what might be a good strategy to go for or, mm. you know, just without playing the game for them, just a couple of little hints if that's what they they like. With this, I couldn't do that. No. Not until I'd played it so many times myself. And so it lost points from that for me. But as a game, it's got some very interesting things in it. I really like the idea of playing as the cave. The thief, not so much, because the thief just seems to die every time he interacts with somebody, from what I've read in the uh, in the rule book. But you no, just... we'd have to try that one. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to do some follow-up quest reports after we've been doing this for 
Well, well there was yeah. some of our quest reports will be like, well, we've played this one another time and, and we've learnt some more, yeah. either that we like or don't like. Like this, this is... is even worse than we said it was before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely like an initial view of the game. Hmm. It's just when you play a game initially, you've it's got to offer enough to make you want to come back and play it again. Yeah, it's a game. It's not work. Yeah, you shouldn't have to work for fun. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel with this, I'm gonna have to work for the fun. Mm. Now I could be wrong. I could play this again and play a different faction and and be bowed away. Yeah, but then somebody but else I, could have to play your faction. Yeah, and you know <laughs> what? I love dragon. dragons, and I thought, oh, I wanted to be the dragon straight away. Mm. I wanted to be the dragon, um, and I was so glad I got to play the dragon. But I'm not actually sure I would be. I, I mean, I certainly would want to play another faction anyway, as I've already stated. But I just don't feel like this is a game that excited me at all on my first play. Um, and I'm not really going to be in a rush to play it again, even though I can't turn around and say it's a bad game. It just no. didn't. I, it just it's, didn't excite me the way I expected it to. Well, it's just hard to really specify who this game would be for, mm. or like if it's not like like if you like such, and such a game, then you like this. It's um, if you like asymmetrical games, and I do. Then like, I think this is definitely worth giving a try. If you're a workaholic, <laughs> yeah, I could, because this game, as I say, is the most asymmetrical game I've ever played. Yeah, it very much is very asymmetrical. Which, if you, I thought it was a very interesting point. I know mean, I like it in theory. It's just in mm. practice, it just makes it far too much work. I yeah, think. I like the idea of it, and mm. I would say, as while I would, while I say that if you like asymmetrical games, give it a try. I would say if you don't like asymmetrical games (laughs) burn it burn it now (laughs) because if you don't like asymmetrical games you will hate this game don't buy one just to burn it just don't get it and don't and don't be the douche that goes around burning other people's copies (laughs) (laughs) no No one's going to invite you back to the games (laughs) nice again yeah we have to be careful about what advice we give out don't we really (laughs) yeah try not to take us too literally people have been taking us very literally i assume yes because we make these statements and uh yeah, we lay down the law about what to do. So we're just meddling in people's lives in so many ways. <laughs> well, we, we don't, we're bound to get the right level of how meddlesome we want to actually be. Yeah, <laughs> as meeples. So if you don't like asymmetrical games, I would say don't give this a try. If you do, at least try it out and see what you think. It's it's got to be better with more plays. Hmm. I think it will get better with more plays. But even then, I'm just not sure if I'd want to then go and play it. One of the things I did. Th- think was a good idea as well was that each role had um different levels there's five levels for every role so that you can play adjusting the difficulty so like if you've got someone who's really experienced and a whole bunch of people who are new at the game you can set them to playing any one of the characters with a a harder difficulty Mm. and just to make it more complicated just to make it more complicated for them um and it's kind of like if you're the dragon you can have like an easier uh a level to play where you get more lives and, and mm. think just different things like that that affect each uh, each role and I do think that is a really good thing because you can crank up the difficulty for one person and keep everyone else at a at a like a beginner level yeah uh, so that that's good it does also have like a campaign style mode well they call it a campaign style mode where you all start off on the easiest settings and the person that wins levels up and it's right. almost more like a tournament than a campaign. It's basically whoever gets the, their ca- wins enough games to level their character up to the hardest difficulty right. wins. 
I think there that were maybe be the being, more interesting one. Yeah, but I'm again, I'm not sure how many groups are going to play this game that many times. Because the thing is, you got to remember, there's so many good games coming out all the time that mm. people are going right. Well, I'm going to get this to the table once, and if I don't like it, I'm not going to play it again. Yeah. Or they'll oh. they'll go back and try it a second time. Yeah, but and if it still doesn't wow them, because there's so many a, games that's coming out. That's a minority. Out. I mean, if people are doing that, then. They're going to play whatever anyway, aren't they? Mm. I mean, who cares? We don't need to cater to that one guy who's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do. I know what you mean. I don't think people are. Really but if you are that t- guy, come join our game group and let us try our try your games. We'd be bringing a different one every time. It'd be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Just have your own game group, yeah. guy, whoever you are. <laughs> but yeah, I, I know what you mean. The people we should aren't call really going to take Dave. that. Many <laughs> Dave. <laughs> <laughs> They're <Yeah>. all dead, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, I was really wanting to have a game that we talked about that I didn't like so much because we've most obviously we're only kind of starting out doing this kind of thing, and there's so many games that we love and that we want to talk about, and if we've taken the time to play a game, generally we we do kind of enjoy it, and but we didn't want to just be. Like every quest report, just saying like, "Oh, we really love this game," mm. and like really, because that would get annoying after a while. So, um, so thank you, Vast. <laughs> <laughs> you've allowed us to be able to break our streak of you've, loving all the games. Well, you've you've certainly met with Richard's cri- hate criteria. Yeah. So that checkbox is ticked. This is about this week, as angry as I get. But <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> but I did think unless we someone ref- nicks your your beer. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen you when you've. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty annoying. Um. But um, I, mean, I, I didn't. I didn't exactly hate it. Um, but when I was playing it, I thought, well, this. I was hoping that one of the games we played recently, one of the new ones, mm. um, I would think, well, maybe this one isn't so good, just to me personally. And then when we were playing Vast, I thought, yeah, there's a lot that I don't really like about this, and I, and it was the com- the over complexity of it. But I can understand why some people might like it. Like you were saying, if mm. you like asymmetrical games, then you are going to really like this because nothing about it is the same <laughs> when you play the different factions so. it's probably more asymmetrical than it needs to be yeah. but again I mean if you wanted to hate on some games there are some games that I really hate so we will prepare for some very angry quest reports folks well yeah <laughs> or it, that could be like a, we could do unless like a tiny you play talk. them and you love them yeah then we can argue <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we just cut, cut to uh, a scene of me and Richard brawling with <laughs> cardboard components flying everywhere. Yeah, he's trying to destroy a different game or defend it. <laughs> so, okay. that's our quest report on Vast, the Crystal Caverns. We hope this has been informative, mm-hmm. and it's probably been more fun doing this than playing the game. <laughs> that probably says it best. Hi, welcome to Bard's Corner. We'll be doing a roundup of new releases coming out in April, as well as some new albums coming out and some music news. That's right. So, first up, um, we've got albums coming out at the end of this month. We spoke about uh, Crazy Licks and Adrenaline Rush on our previous episode of Bard's Corner. Those are both out on the 21st of April. As well as that, Treat have a new live CD and DVD out, which is called The Road More or Less Travelled. 
listened to a few a few tracks off that. It's a very good live album. I don't very often listen to live albums, but I did like this one. Um, as well as that, Unruly Child. Now, we mentioned a, a couple of episodes back that they had a new album coming out. Well, they've also got a five CD box set that includes a DVD as well. That's entitled Raining Frogs. Now, that's going to be limited to a thousand copies. So if you want to try and get a copy of that box set, then it's something that you want to uh, pick up soon. That's a number of their older albums together in a box set with a live uh, DVD as a bonus. Is that raining as in ruling frogs or raining as in... It's probably raining frogs as in... Um, that sounds yeah. really serious. It's like a rolling. It's like a rolling frogs, isn't it? That's uh, that's the spelling anyway. Um, ah, the It's always better to be raining frogs than licking toads. Ew. Uh, Ew. Along with that, a couple of hmm. album reviews. Um, first up, released on the seventh of April, was Six Impossible Things debut album. We're all mad here now. I've been listening to that a few times. Mm. Very relaxed album. Mm. Very laid back album. It's got a very clear, crisp sound to it. Yeah, very mm. much so. Uh, I quite like. I, I quite enjoyed that one actually, mm. even though it was a bit more laid back for my usual taste. It was nice in the evening with friends around, wasn't it? Just have it on in the background. It wasn't too overpowering. Yeah, we, we played it while we were driving as well, mm. so it was it was a nice album to listen to. The song on there, I've, I've very much enjoyed, called "Memory," uh, which was the first single from the album it's an album which is very strongly rooted in folk music so if you like those sort of folksy rock bands this is something that you'll you'll like it's definitely more folk than rock Mm. but um but it's one i particularly enjoyed as well as that from from the same label tanzan music is jesse galanti's debut album the show must go on now this one isn't out until may the 12th uh, now, when you look through this album, you'll see a lot of big names in, in there that have appeared or contributed in some way. Uh, Rob Bailey and Jack Daly are two of the, the main players on the album, but it also features uh, performances by Billy Sheehan from Mr. Big, uh, Mario Percudani, who works a lot with Tanzan Music. He works with Mitch Malloy and Ted Poley as well. Anna Portalubi, who's a bassist, she plays with... Uh, Ty Tyronan, uh, she's played with Hardline, seen her live with other musicians as well, and Alessandro Dalvecchia. So when I looked at that and I saw who was going to be on that album, I was quite excited to hear it, um, particularly because I'd also heard Jessie Glantz sing before, and she's a very talented singer, very much in the vein of Aretha Franklin. However, when I played that, the first few tracks didn't really grab me at all the way I thought they would. No. Um, I wasn't really enjoying it at first. It wasn't that it was bad, it just didn't grab no, me. No, no, it wasn't bad. I, mm. But then from about track four onwards, I started to get quite into it. Uh, and that, I think, when I looked at it, was more those guys involved in more of the writing and the, the playing and, and production. Mm. And I think that really showed as the album went through. But... From about track four, I started to really enjoy the album. There was also a couple of quite good cover versions. Uh, there was a cover version of The Show Must Go On, oh, which is like the title that. track. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I did, actually. It was a, I really a wasn't Queen fast. cover. I enjoyed that. But particularly on there was the cover of Nights in White Satin. Yeah. I actually thought that was the best version of Nights in White Satin I'd heard. 
and I really enjoyed it. But I don't, I don't think that. I you... don't know. Um, it's not. She's got, she has got a good voice. It's not that she wasn't a good singer. I just didn't enjoy it. You know, yeah. Sometimes with albums, it's like you can't really put your finger on mm. it. It just. I don't know. Say she is a good singer, and it was pretty good songs. It wasn't like it didn't like go together or anything. I just really didn't enjoy it. So we've got yeah. differing viewpoints on that. Personally, I do like a bit of soul rock. Um, and this thing, is, I'm not really into that, so that might be. Yeah, and again, rock. kind of like with Six Impossible Things, it's folk rock, but it's more folk than rock. And with this, it's felt like it's more soul than rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. as soul rock goes, but overall. When I got to the end of the album, actually, it was an experience that I enjoyed. As I say, I'd, I'd happily listen to that again, though I'd possibly skip some of the early tracks and jump yeah. to around track four onwards. <laughs> we were in the car, weren't we? And it did start again. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> so, yeah, so I enjoyed that one. Heather, not so much. Uh, but looking at, again ahead to May, there's quite a few albums out in May. Uh, Axel Rudy Powell who's one of my favourite guitarists, German guitarists, and he's had a number of very, very good singers singing with him over the years, uh, including Jeff Scott Soto, Charlie Hume. At the moment, he's had singing with him for quite a lot of albums. In fact, more so, I think he's done more albums with Johnny Gioelli now than he has without mm. Johnny Gioelli. And of course, Johnny being the lead singer of Hardline. Mm. And I eat as much as I love his previous singers, Johnny just suits his style of music better than anyone has so far. Mm. He's got a new album coming out, The Ballads 5. Mm. Uh, that includes a duet with Bonnie Tyler. Really? Oh, yeah, old, yeah, old, oh cool. A song called mm. Love's Holding On. That's And I really wanted to put Johnny Gioelli and Bonnie Tyler together as a vocal duet, but it works. It's a, it's good. I, I enjoyed that one. I that one. Yeah. Um, also... Rhapsody of Fire. Uh, long, long been a, a fan of Rhapsody. Of course, they had to change their name yeah. to Rhapsody of Fire because of legal reasons. Going to change it. Might as well put fire in this. Yeah. <laughs> and they're releasing an album which is a re-recording of their tracks from 1997 to 2002. So there's 14 songs there. Now that's going to be out on May the 26th. This. Just for clarity, this is Rhapsody of Fire, which is Alex Staropoli's branch of Rhapsody, and not Luca Turilli's Rhapsody. So, but I'm really looking forward to hearing some of those re-recordings, seeing how the takes on those songs have changed over the years. Um, that's on the 26th of May. That's going to be out through new through AFM Records. There's also a new album out next month by Harem Scarum. They've got an album coming out called United. The first single from that called Sinking Ship is already on YouTube if you want to go check that out. Warren, I've got an album coming out as well on the 12th of May, Louder, Harder and Faster. Now, I have actually heard the first single off there and I, it was a bit lukewarm in my opinion. I'm looking forward to hearing what the full album sounds like. I wasn't massively impressed with the first single. Oh. It was kind of, it, again, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't yeah. good. It was kind of like, Come on, guys, I know you can do better than this. So, But I'm looking forward to hearing what yeah, the actual yeah. album's going to be out. Van den Plaas have a new album out. Now, Van den Plaas are a German hard rock band. I've uh, had a few of their albums over the years. Always enjoyed them. Quite a heavy sound. I've not heard anything from that yet. But their new album, The Seraphic Lifework, is going to be out on the 12th of May. And Royal Hunt, 
Now, Royal Hunt, Hunts are a band I've seen live. I've, I've collected their albums over the years. Um, prog melodic rock, probably the best way to describe them. They've got a new album coming out next month called 2016. So that's going to be one we'll be taking a look at, hopefully. And Accept, in the last few days, uh, the, the German hard rock band Accept have announced they've got a new album coming out. Yep. That's going to be called The Rise of Chaos. But that's not going to be out till the beginning of August. So hopefully we'll have more information for that closer to the time. And just a reminder that if you want to see Hardline, they are playing at Bilston in the UK on May the 23rd. So that's the end of April news. If you want to know more, please go to paradiserock.co.uk to keep up to date with all your melodic rock music news. Thank you. Bye. Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. Welcome to Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. And since we have such a important topic to talk about this time, I'm not joined by Matt. Um, I'm joined by this Federation bounty hunter <laughs> who um, has come to talk about it with us instead. And our question this week, we wanted to get a little bit more into the serious issues. And that... it doesn't get much bigger than this. No. They're ones that are very much affecting people such as yourself, mm -hmm. who live in space, I assume. Mm -hmm. um, and... You also are trapped between two genres as well, which is, well, not a genre, two franchises. I imagine that must be a very difficult life. So You've I'll... got no idea, man. <laughs> no idea. It'll be better once we settle this question. Now, this here is our Star Destroyer. And here is, well, you might not be able to see it. It's the Enterprise E, Sovereign Class. And our question... NCC 1701. E. E. Yes, it does have a letter after it. I know Scotty hates this time that. there is a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so uh, basically our question is what would win between these two things because um, often... The, well, the, the two, really, the, mo the most well-known sci-fi genres, basically, aren't they? Not genres, uh, franchises. Uh, Star Trek and Star Wars. And these are very iconic ships from it. The Enterprise and the Star Destroyer. Uh, we didn't really think of the, the Millennium Falcon. That's a different deal altogether. He's just kind of doing his own thing. So, like, he He's just joining us. He's, well, I had to borrow the Falcon to get here for this recording. <laughs> well, he was he was here, but now he's just gone. He had gone um, smuggling something somewhere, so that's his part of the story done. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually thinking about firepower... There goes my ride. And... <laughs> yeah, he's stuck here now. Um... Yeah, and basically combat ability. It's actually just so happens that these ended up being slightly to scale. And so we have the massive Star Destroyer here. And which game was that from? That's um, from Imperial Assault. No, no, it's from Imperial Armada. Armada. Star Wars so Armada. this is from Star Wars Armada, the game. So it's on its little base that's got little things that you can set down there. And this Sovereign class is from Star Trek Fleet Captains. So we've managed to actually get little models from two different games just to represent the epic battle that's going on and they're being watched by our lord Cthulhu who yeah. presumably is making this happen so <laughs> well he controls everything I mean yeah Palpatine thinks he channels the force that's all I can say 
Yeah, all right, so... This is a happy coincidence in scale, isn't it? Because these aren't designed to be in scale. The Enterprise is actually meant to be 685 metres long, Mm -hmm. whereas the Imperial Star Destroyer is over 1,600 metres long. So it's about two and a half times the size. So it it gives a a nice demonstration there of the different scale. Mm. Do you think I should reveal to the audience my secret identity? I just read to think what else you've got under that helmet. So yeah, yeah, try. <laughs> yeah, let them know. Brody looks scared. <laughs> it is uh, I, viewers. <laughs> so this is what your other job is. You all, thought, you all thought I was a, a moral Mandalorian, didn't you? Mandalorian? Oh, right. Okay. Well, my bounty hunter. Mandalorian um, that joined Starfleet gave up his bounty hunter ways, but... Yeah. Not the helmet. <laughs> I think, really, before we go any further, we should just take one moment to address the fact that there are Star Wars fanboys out there and Star Trek fanboys, and no really? matter which one we say, the other group are going to disagree with us and probably come on to complain. So you people, I say this, get a life. I'm wearing a Star Trek <laughs> uniform, so I can say that. I was just going to point that out, but yeah. <laughs> Now, I don't um, think people are going to get annoyed. They're going to be very fair and even-handed yeah. with it. Personally, I don't feel like I have a horse in this race because I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. Mm. I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. I mean, I, you walk around my house, it's full of Star Trek and Star Wars memorabilia. Um, I l- really do love both. I cosplay in both Starfleet outfits and Star Wars outfits. At the same time. Yeah, in fact, this was me when I went to see... Star Wars: The Force Awakens in Leicester Square with, with a, a couple of friends. Had yeah, the lightsaber as well, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> so, I am very heavily invested in both franchises. So my opinions aren't yeah, based so on. Yeah, so get a life, you lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my opinions aren't based on either one or the other, with with bias. Yeah, I, I wasn't too bothered about which one would win. Um, I just wanted to actually be able to do the research mm. finally because I've often thought about it like well people just kind of think about it in different ways and there's like what are phasers and what are turbo lasers stuff like that and kind of what is the size difference between them as well Mm. and with it being the two main kind of franchises and yet they are so different Mm. um it's just interesting to compare them both but and it is one of those debates that does crop up no matter how often you, you discuss it. Mm. It is something that does crop up regularly. But it's good to put, as you say, do some research and put some facts into this. But it's not actually Star Wars versus Star Trek. It is no, it's this a ship Star Destroyer versus, ship. versus this Sovereign class. I mean, people ship. say that, you know, Vader could come across and force joke everybody, but then Q could snap his fingers and change the whole game again. Yeah, so it's if Q was just, on their side. Yeah. But, yeah. So it's just two ships having a battle that we're debating here, isn't it? Yes. And how that could go. Now, I did some research. Mm-hmm. And I was quite surprised when I ran some of the figures here. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll be honest. My initial thought when um, you suggested this as a discussion for the show mm-hmm. was that the Enterprise would wreck it. Mm-hmm. It would, with its superior technology, the Enterprise would wreck a Star Destroyer. Yeah. Then I ran some numbers, and yeah. I was a little bit surprised by what I found. I was a bit surprised as well, because I thought something similar. I thought it would be far 
I thought the Enterprise would have the advantage by a long way, but I wanted to kind of check that mm. and see why it would and like by how far, things like that. Um, one of the first things about these ships is that they are designed for very different things. Yes. Now, the Enterprise, classically, it's always been an exploring vessel. Mm-hmm. If we were using this one, Enterprise D, then it would be a little bit different again because this one's very much like an exploring one. Mm-hmm. And well, it kind of goes in battles, but that's not the main thing about it, is it? I mean, it's, it's been in a of, lot of battles, hasn't it? It's got years, lots but... of schools on it and like people hanging around the holodecks yeah. and stuff like that and like, gardens inside and bars and stuff. So this is like a big city. Whereas the Sovereign class, a little bit later on, they were thinking about fighting the Borg when they thought mm. of this, weren't they? So this is a bit more of a, a battleship. So if we were thinking which ship would go against a Star Destroyer, this one would be kind of still very thematic. The most suitable but, one. Yeah, really. but given the Federation like its best chance of like what it would send, basically. So that, that was why I thought of that one. Um, but the Star Destroyer... Now, this, again, it isn't so much... For fighting against diff- um, different ships, this one is more about kind of dominating a planetary system and yeah, like suppressing it's... a planet, launching Tie Fighters stuff like yeah. that. It's almost like an aircraft carrier in yeah. that it goes around with its squads of Tie Fighters. It's got seventy-two f- uh, ships aboard, hasn't it? Of the Tie Fighters, yeah, seventy-two Tie Fighters. Tie... I counted here. There's yeah. forty-eight Tie Fighters, twelve Tie Bombers. Yeah. Um, and then there's another 12 TIE boarding craft. Yeah, and there's like the shuttles. And, yeah. yeah. But I kind of only really wrote down the TIE fighters because... It carries they would 48 be, of those, doesn't it? They would be the ones that were fighting... That would be fighting a dogfight. Yeah. Basically, against the Enterprise. The other stuff would be a little bit more if it was to kind of go and invade a planet. Although the bombers would probably be used for a bombing run against the Enterprise. Yeah, there could be. I just think they're... Enterprise is a little bit too nippy for that to be too effective. I think but... they are definitely slower. But this is another thing that really surprised me. Now, I ran some numbers here mm. on the speed of ship travel between the two universes. Uh, because I thought, again, the Enterprise is just going to be so much faster because it's got warp drive. Not so. Well, hyperdrive is flipping fast. Isn't yes, it? this is it. Coruscant to Alderaan, mm. though no one needs to visit Alderaan anymore. Well. Uh, Five thousand light years. Mm-hmm. It took them sixteen hours. Right. Six hundred and twenty-five light years per hour. Now, we all know about Voyager and its seven-season trek home. Yeah, this one's going to take seventy years to get. It's going to take Delta Quad, seventy right? years traveling at was it warp nine point six or something? Their maximum warp anyway. I think it's nine point nine, but yeah. If Voyager had hyperspeed, they could have been home in sixty-four hours. Right, yeah. So clearly for space travel, and uh, on top of that, some of the other facts. For example, um, the Enterprise would uh, need work doing on it after it had been in space traveling 2,750 light years. An Imperial Star Destroyer is got an, an effective span of 250,000. So, and th- these are going from figures... Um, that are based on like manuals and and books, which are treated mm. as as official and canon. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that completely surprised me. Now, however, 
as you said, the Imperial Star Destroyers aren't designed for ship-to-ship combat. So this no. is what I've just said is to do with how fast they could get somewhere. So yeah, in a battle, you know how close the reinforcements is going to be on your mind. That means that in theory they could get stuck. You know, perhaps reinforcements there faster than the Enterprise. But discount mm, that as for yeah, the actual let's battle. Let's just say they're doing Star Trek. Nemesis that's just hypothetical. Yeah, that's just hypothetical. Mm. Um, as opposed to the rest. The, of yeah, as opposed to the rest, <laughs> which is which is hard science. No, but I mean, yeah, it's that is that is an interesting point about the hyperdrives, but it's um, but in a battle, the they're not issue is going to be maneuverability. Yeah, which is their sublight drives. Yeah. Whereas this is a triangle that's going to be going along at pretty much constant <laughs> speed and not being able to turn. This can't. No, the the Imperial Star Destroyer isn't designed for maneuverability, as you said. It's designed to blockade a planet and turn uh, a planet into slag, basically. With its just, turbo just to oppress the native population to make <laughs> them worship the emperor, but it is the standard unit of the imperial fleet. Into it? it is. So that's why it was a good candidate for. Oh, what uh, we're going Oh, absolutely. Against. But what what I'm thinking is is it's not going to be very maneuverable. The yeah. enterprise is going to be able to zip around around it, quite, you know, very yeah, very fast. I mean, this is like one of the less maneuverable Starfleet ships, but it's yeah. way more maneuverable than that. So it's and not I think defiant. if you were to take any one of the Enterprise vessels, you'd mm. find the same same situation. Yeah. Now, yeah, I should say the Defiant. I mean, you think about the episode with the uh, cadets and their Defiant, how maneuverable that oh, ship yeah, was when it was the Valiant. Yeah. Uh, and that was piloted by kids. Yeah, and that one is... of them was like taking pills or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. When it comes to maneuverability, the Enterprise has got this. Mm. However, I I looked at some of the weapon powers yeah. for the various weapons. Yeah, I did that as well. Did you find the same information I found then? I would uh, think so, but it's so varied. And it depends whether you go from what's in the manuals, like you were talking about, mm. and what gets observed in the films and TV programmes. Now, this is, this is the thing. Now, for me, when I looked at the figures, it seemed like the Star Destroyer is being said to be millions of times more powerful mm-hmm. than the Enterprise. So give you an example of that. The light guns on the Imperial Star Destroyer come in at 300 million gigawatts. Right. The phasers on the Enterprise D, I couldn't find the information, I didn't get the information for the E, but let's assume that they're only slightly uh, less powerful than the, the phasers on the E, 3.6 gigawatts. Right, right. So now the gigawatts. These seem so out of proportion that you have to say that one blast, one broadside from the Star Destroyer should destroy the Enterprise based on those figures. However, it I kind of got the feeling that the people writing the films and writing the episodes hadn't paid any information whatsoever to these because, as you say, what Obviously you observe. Not is very different. Mm. Now, there is several episodes in Star Trek The Next Generation where the Enterprise is attacked by ships firing lasers. Mm -hmm. We can't categorically say that the lasers in Star Trek are different to the lasers in Star Wars. I can. I'll do that in a bit. Richard can and (laughs) he will. I looked at it and I didn't find evidence that allowed me to categorically say that Mm -hmm. however i was thinking that surely the premise of both turbo lasers and lasers are 
going to be using the same principle. It's mm. just that the turbo lasers are a more powerful version of the lasers. Right. And lasers in any form have proven to be ineffective against the shielding of the Enterprise. Yeah, they thought it was funny, didn't they, when a ship yeah. was going to attack them with lasers. Worf was just incredulous. Yeah. So it takes a lot to make him incredulous. Yeah. And looking at that, it made me think, well, okay, how can the Star Destroyer then put a dint? Well, it has other weapons. So it has iron cannons. Yeah. Which, again, haven't particularly been found to be effective against Starfleet vessels. Its main thing is going to be its heavy guns and its torpedoes. Again, the heavy guns are just more powerful versions of the lasers. So if we dismiss those and look at the torpedoes. The torpedoes are probably the only thing that presents a real threat to the Enterprise. Yeah. My issue here is... Are they going to be effective enough against the Enterprise shielding? And I don't think necessarily that the Enterprise is going to come away unscathed. I think the Enterprise is going to take damage from those torpedoes. However, the shielding... And this is, again, I looked at information on the shielding of both the Star Destroyer and the Enterprise. And again, it's been... Well, it's... I was finding figures that were saying... That the 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 shielding on the star destroyers is millions of times stronger than the shielding on the Enterprise, and yet when we watch the actual Star Wars films, we see star destroyers getting hit by asteroids I when mean, they've got their shields up. Yeah. Whereas the navi- the deflector array on the Enterprise would have just got that out of the way not a massive asteroid i think the deflector array is mainly for particles isn't it that would kind of put us into them the um yeah it seems to be they've both got very good shields Mm. because they do get hit by asteroids but a lot of the time they can actually survive getting hit by an asteroid Mm. which would go off like a nuclear bomb Mm. um the figures i found don't matter that much because like you were saying you get them all over the place uh what i found was that the Enterprises, in the technical manual, they've got their phaser output as being a maximum of 100,000 terawatts. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a, a bit more than, than what you'd seen there. Um, what we see in episodes, we have... There was a time when the Enterprise bored a great big hole in the ground with the uh, with the phaser. I was going to say um, yeah. Yeah, and it did like over like fifteen seconds, and I think it burrowed, with like, a single burst, 17. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So like, if you divide that out, that well, I got this from um, I can't remember which website it was, but um, yeah, it was about one thousand seven hundred and thirty-one terawatts that one, and then against the Borg, it managed to blast a hole in the side of a mm. Borg cube. That was like with a half second blast, mm. and that would be like sixty-eight thousand terawatts. So we've never actually seen them do their full 100,000 terawatts. But we can just assume that that's what it can do. Now, with the Star Destroyer, that was doing something similar with its turbo lasers. Even probably more so, because Mm. they do these short blasts. Mm. All their blasts are like half a second. Um, And they seem to be destroying entire asteroids in one (laughs) hit, like vaporising them. And that would be... Well, the maximum amount of that I saw... Um, this was on stardestroyer.net. That was a very good website. Mm. He, was, he was very much on the Star Wars side of this. Like, <laughs> I, I got that from the title. <laughs> yeah. But he, he tends to call um, people that think the Federation would win 
as um, you can't call them Federation cultists. So this well, we're clearly not Federation cultists, are we? We are. <laughs> no, we're very clear about what cult we're. <laughs> but um, yeah, that would be over two hundred thousand terawatts. So I've kind of just rounded it back down because we can just say that they are their weapons are basically equivalent. There'll be different outputs, different times. The difference, though, is the Star Destroyer has so many more batteries of them because I found that the Enterprise has 16 phaser array. array. Yeah. So that's the Enterprise E. Whereas the Star Destroyer seems to have about 60 types of each mm. laser. Um, so these are these turbo laser cannons. Their output is much, much higher. Yeah. One problem is it can't really fire very well in front of it. Uh, mm. The way that they're positioned, it's like meant for broadside and yeah. like taking on lots of fighters and things like that. So if the Enterprise was to go here and blast it, it wouldn't really get hit by very much stuff. Yeah. And as we said, the Enterprise is more manoeuvrable, so it can mm. get into these blind spots, so that will help. It um, can even uh, stay in front of it, match its pace, and just shoot from behind. Yeah, behind that is that as well. But I was thinking also about what you said with the lasers. Um this is one of the main things I wanted to think about mm. was would their weapon the Star Destroyer's weapons be effective in any way against Enterprise's mm. shields because they're used to fighting against phasers which apparently is a type of Nadion beam mm -hmm. which is completely different to um, what an ordinary laser would mm -hmm. be but when I was investigating the Star Destroyer I found that the turbo lasers aren't actually lasers mm. um, there's quite a few different properties that are different about them than what would classically be a laser. And I just I just have to assume that the kind of lasers that the Enterprise crew were laughing at before have got to be kind of standard type of lasers that we were that yeah. we would consider to be a laser. I don't think this is good this I was expecting this battle to be a walkover and I think whatever the outcome, it's not gonna be a walkover. No, no, I think it's gonna be very evenly matched really. So just a few things that make turbo lasers different to lasers. Um we can see them when yeah. they get blasted at it. If it was an actual laser beam and the ship was firing it towards the Enterprise here, we wouldn't be able to see it from the side because the whole point of a laser is it's all pointing forward. Whereas we can see this light radiates mm. out the side of the blast. Also, um, it's subluminal. It's um, not going at the speed of light because mm. you can see it on the Star Wars films like it's like blasting it seems like it is blasting an actual thing mm. it seems like it might more likely be some kind of plasma or yeah. something that it's hitting it with and the other thing is um, when you actually see the guns that it's fired with mm. there's like a, a hole at the end of the barrel it seems like it is actually firing something mm. whereas if it was a laser it would be a, a lens yeah. so um, it seems like maybe at first the end no i don't i don't think the enterprise crew would be fooled by any of this and um, just because it's called a laser a turbo laser i mean that's just a name for it it's yeah. not what we would expect as to be a laser it's just the name like the death star isn't a star and um, their weapons i think would be able to do damage to the enterprise i think we have to say that yes they would well how effective though that's is that's the question yeah. and the tactics that are going to be used here because as we say if the Enterprise was to approach it side-on and get broadsided, the Enterprise could be in serious trouble, but the Enterprise, with its manoeuvrability, can stay out. Yeah. out. However, Definitely. we have to also consider here the range of the weapons. Yeah. Now, uh, in Return of the Jedi, mm -hmm. the, ship started fire the capital ships started firing at one another 
from a few thousand kilometers. Yeah, very. Okay. And yeah. then they got up to a, a few hundred kilometers. And then, of course, once the, the fighters go in close range, you're down to sort of like 15 to 10 kilometers distance, aren't you, for yeah. them to fire at? Regularly in Star Trek, the combat happens at five kilometers or less. And there's, um, I mean, I'm this is a Captain Sisko outfit. Captain Sisko, during the Dominion War, when he was on the Defiant, did say at one point not to fire until they were 500 meters away from the Jem'Hadar attack ships. So, Starfleet, either because of limitations of weapons or because of Starfleet training, and we don't really know which of those two issues it is, um, are taught to fire at close range. Yeah. Pretty sure that they can fire further than that because, as I say, we've seen them shoot phasers to drill into planets mm. and we've seen them shoot asteroids and do all kinds of different things. So I'm fairly sure the range is much further than those 500 yeah I think um, it is. but it's hard to say that categorically it does it does appear that the star destroyer would start firing before the enterprise was in effective range yes so there's that, that to happen. consider yeah another thing to consider i would say is transporter technology now if both ships are shielded can't use it they can't use the transporters because mm. one of my thoughts was well could the enterprise just beam a torpedo directly inside and immediately cripple the Star Destroyer. Well, in doing so, they're going to leave themselves wide open to being shredded by the many, many laser turrets. This is why they don't do it on Star Trek. I mean, you you think of these things sometimes, like, oh, you just beam a a torpedo on there, but and they don't do that on the program, and that's because it's not just like, you don't just have to get that thing's shield down. You'd have to drop your own shields to do it, and you're just going to get battered. So, Bear in mind that whenever they get hit, they also the whole bridge explodes. Yeah. So that's even if they don't get through the shields, yeah. kind of, it's going to be very much, a lot of damage on the bridge. Another issue I would say is you know competency. Yeah. Now, it does seem like when we watch Star Wars films, the Imperial soldiers are always depicted as wildly incompetent. Yeah. I mean, but these people are. A military unit they're trained for battle starfleet are primarily trained to be explorers scientists engineers the empire is trained for war yeah although this is the enterprise e we're yeah. talking about here yeah trained but to fight the borg i'm thinking not so much of the ship but the crew that mans it yeah even so the crew of the enterprise is still primarily i mean they're led by picard mm-hmm. he's he's a diplomat and um an archaeologist and anthropologist more than he is a, a soldier but he is but he's one experienced as got. a tactician. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily be the same for the rest of his... And he can do this thing. No, that is... Well, there is the Picard manoeuvre. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if he used the Picard manoeuvre, he'd be tricking their senses and they'd be mm. thinking he's in one place when in fact he's attacking from another. Yeah, because I was thinking about that when you were talking about the range. Yeah. So like, if they, they were going to hit them from far away, they might be shooting at something over here that's just a warp shadow. So. Hollow projections and all sorts. There's different things that they could do there. And that, and they would do that. That's... But you think about with the mm. Imperial Star Destroyer, how many competent leaders they're going to be on that bridge to take command and put it in a battle. Now, if we were saying that scared. Vader was on board... Or Thrawn. There, there are. We're not saying that there aren't if it was some Randall very good Thrawn, then it'd be tacticians very aboard the Imperial, the Star Destroyers. Yeah. But we're talking about just an average crew 
that may not have that against the Enterprise. So the Enterprise, thinking, yeah. if the card was taken I'm glad out, you're thinking that as well. <laughs> you know, um, depending on what point of, of the Enterprise we're talking about, Riker could step in. Riker's a competent leader. Yeah. We've got Data. We've got Worf. Yeah. If he's on, on board at the time. I think about... I know Worf wasn't part of the Enterprise crew originally, but he did turn up for up first co- contact. And... <laughs> yeah. He does seem to be... He's, not, he's, he's like that guy that moves out, yeah. but he's still always around. <laughs> yeah, they keep finding him on the ship again. And if you're going to get into a battle, you know, having Worf on your side is definitely a good thing. I think about the insurrection kind of time, because... First contact was when they very first had the ship. Mm. So we're kind of saying that Picard's got over most of his Borg issues. Mm. Um, but it's not Nemesis yet where they lose mm. data. So no. to say it's just the normal crew of the Enterprise. And if it's a normal Star Destroyer, because there aren't any kind of standout Imperial Star Destroyer. Not, not so many of these type of ones. There is like the bigger ones. There's the one that mm. Vader had. Um, things like that, but you can't expect the there Imperator. to be any amazing, um, like members of the Empire on this ship because it'd the, probably be a standard one. The thing is, um, and I'll say this because what one thing that our, our own world history teaches us mm. is that when you're in a dictatorship, people with, that are particularly talented don't tend to stay around for long. No, no, it's survivor the dumbest. Exactly, so be and and anyone there. that's potentially uh, going to be either popular enough or bright enough to overthrow um, Vader and the Emperor, yeah. they're going to be got rid of. They got force choked ages ago. Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking at like a, a normal crew, and I do think tactically, the Enterprise has got tactics on the side. They've got maneuverability on the side. Mm. The firepower is so much more of an issue than I thought it would be because mm. I didn't think the I was trying to think the only when I first thought it in my head I thought the only way that a Star Destroyer could do damage would be to quote our favourite Klingon prepare for ramming speed oh yeah but then they just mess that was yeah. so <laughs> yeah we also have to assume that storm the stormtroopers we usually see on the planet are not manning the turbo lasers <laughs> yeah yeah and that not. brings us to yeah. another question you know the Enterprise much like uh, systems in Battlestar Galactica and another series, has automated tactical systems. Yeah. So they're less prone to human error. Mm. And because of the maneuverability, they're not going to miss. They're going to hit every time. We're not talking about a nimble Klingon bird of prey that's going to zip in and around. No. This mm. is a ship that every shot is going to take a hit. We cannot say that the other way around. Not for the no, not for the star. The star destroyer is going to miss the Enterprise more t- more often than not. Yeah, I know um, it's got so much more firepower. That's the trouble. And that, and I, I still can't get over how much more firepower it, it has in compared to the mm. Enterprise. Because I just thought the you know the Enterprise was going to take this hands down because of its superior technology, and it's just it's not the case. Nah. And uh, my worldview is a little bit shaken. Um. <laughs> Well, I can tell. I'll tell you confused yeah, by how you dress I mean, for this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is something that more than any of the Tiny Meeple's big talks we've done has really made me question my worldview. However, as I say, I don't have a horse in in this race because I love both franchises. Um, and we've got to say, I think this is going to be incredibly close. I do think that they 
going to need all the TIE fighters they can get because the Enterprise is going to be zipping around oh, so nimble. Yeah. Because I was thinking... TIE fighters as well. The Enterprise needs to stay either at the front or rear of the Star Destroyer. Mm. So the Star Destroyer needs to flood that area with ships. Now, the phasers on... The phaser turrets on the uh, on the Enterprise E should be able to pick out the TIE fighters pretty easily. Yeah. But the, the bombers are still going to pack a punch before yeah, they, they, they hit. Yeah. Now, with with Worf or Data at the, at the weapons controls, those ships aren't going to be around for long. No. Um... I think overall, based on its maneuverability, more than anything else, I have to give this to the Enterprise. Because I think the Star Destroyer, if it manages to catch the Enterprise by surprise, if it manages to catch the Enterprise in a broadside, I think the Star Destroyer would win. Yeah. Based on based on the with... recent research that I've done, I think the Star Destroyer would win. And I never ever thought I'd be saying that. No. I yeah, I thought really when we did this would be just working out how the Enterprise would destroy the Star Destroyer, yeah. um, and just kind of getting some numbers on that. But like you say, it's um, I think it would be a very close thing, and with it being so close, I think it would go to the pluckiness of the heroes really <laughs> that are on the Enterprise. Um, they would find some some way to do it but yeah it it would be a very difficult battle like you say if um this was at the side and it just opened up with its uh what mm. a broadside volley on it i think that could knock out so many enterprise systems that mm. they might find it difficult to to come back from that but yeah i think a few spreads of quantum torpedoes would take care of a lot of the uh the tie fighters mm. even if the phasers find it difficult but i yeah I think it's got so many torpedoes on it. And then there's there's also weird stuff like Tricobalt device, which I've mm. got to imagine the Enterprise also has. Mm. If Voyager had one, and they are, they're very powerful. So, I yeah. think one of the things that really surprised me as well as doing this was um, the way that we've got these manuals for both, both vessels. Mm-hmm. You look at the power statistics on them for shields, weapons, etc. And the way that the writers of the shows... Have completely disregarded those facts. Well, I don't so know, yeah. I'm not sure, in fairness to the writers, whether or not they've disregarded the, those facts and that's what they were given to work with, mm. or if they made the story with their own ideas of the power levels and what they should be. Yeah, and then someone else work. has come along and said, "Well, actually, this is how powerful this is now." They have a technical but, manual for the show, don't they? Like, yeah. This is what the Enterprise can do and stuff like that, but. If it's going to make a good story, then they can just take poetic license. Well, yeah, because ultimately all this is... It just it just needs to be a good story, because it can be so... It can stick so closely to the uh, technical specs that they've got, mm. and it'll just be like a terrible story, and then the show gets cancelled, and what was that all about? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but this, this is a problem I have with some of these, like, learning like all the stats about it i wanted to keep it a little bit loose yeah. that's why i haven't tied it down to very um particular numbers one problem i've always had is about the torpedoes like photon torpedoes mm-hmm. and quantum torpedoes um if they're like antimatter reactions then they should be lots more powerful than an atomic bomb but like mm-hmm. when you see them get like firing around 
a um, it's not exactly a nuclear blast when it goes off, is it? It kind of just goes on the shields. And also, I, that, I was thinking though that because of that, that's possibly another reason why the transport strategy of beaming a torpedo wouldn't necessarily work because it would be very hard to beam an active torpedo with something. Yeah, I suppose you'd have to deactivate it, beam it, and then reactivate it with a signal once it had yeah. Re- but I think but... that the Empire wouldn't really be that familiar with the kind of technology that the Enterprise would be using. Um, just just what I was learning about the, the torpedoes, because I wanted to know what the difference between a quantum torpedo and the photon torpedo is, because mm. they're the main types. And I found that the photon torpedo is basically a, a deuterium, anti-deuterium mm. reaction, so antimatter, basically. But like some of the later ones use like lots of different mm. globules of it to go together. So I thought that was quite interesting. But the quantum torpedo actually extracts energy from a zero-point vacuum by twisting a membrane in 11-dimensional space-time, which I thought was amazing because that is M-theory, basically. And um, so that's basically one of the main like cosmological theories at the moment. And it turns out it's true, because <laughs> if it wasn't true, then... Quantum it, torpedoes wouldn't work, so yeah. Because it. science. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I thought. Now in Star Wars, we saw star destroyers being shot out of orbit oh. by iron cannons. Oh yeah, yeah. Defending the planet. Now I would think if you're a ship in space, mm-hmm. being hit by a stationary iron cannon on a planet is pretty embarrassing. And I think that They're really attests to, to the manoeuvrability. <laughs> it really attests to the manoeuvrability yeah. issues of the Star Destroyer. And then I start to think, well, with the modifications to the deflector array, array, the Enterprise could project its own iron cannon yeah, can for the deflector. Because wasn't uh, Riker going to do that when the card was the cutest? He was going to do something with it anyway. Yeah, and I think that's another uh, very viable tactic that the enterprise could do and again to some extent that's going to take a little bit of time to prepare but you know they've got so many skilled engineers that while the rest of them are fighting the the bog one of them could be working on on and the captain could give them less time than they actually need to do it and they'll do it (laughs) (laughs) because that's how life works in space (laughs) so yeah i thought it was very um i thought it was interesting research to do um and i was surprised similar to what you were as well so basically i think it would be a lot more close than most people have thought mm. and i just hope that gets people to reevaluate their assumptions yep, it could, about star wars and star trek it could definitely go either way quite mm. easily um i still think the enterprise would win based on its maneuverability and its ability to get into those more blind spots but they'll have to try harder than we thought they would oh yeah yeah so this is Richard, and I am Captain Fett. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. Hello, and welcome to Tome Talk, and this week Matt is going to talk about Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. That's right. In fact, I decided to talk about this book partly because... You chose to talk about one of your favourite books, mm. um, so I thought, well, taking I mean, it back to the classics. Take it back to the classics, <laughs> yeah. yeah, rather than maybe something that I was reading now, even though I'm yeah. enjoying the book I'm reading now, mm. which is a, a a book by Graham McNeil. But I really wanted to talk about the Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. Now, 
I imagine that a lot of the people that would be drawn to our show would probably be slightly familiar with this, mm. possibly having read it, and if not, would more than likely have heard of the book. Uh, this is a book that sold, I think, more than 80 million copies mm-hmm. uh, throughout the book series so far, and that is a huge number mm. for books. It's hugely popular. A, a convention every year called mm. uh, JordanCon, which has been going since 2009. Does everybody dress up like Robert Jordan? They dress up as characters from the Wheel of Time. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got a huge following. Um, I say that it's, it's got its own soundtrack. Mm. The the This spawned, though, a series that ran from 1990 to 2013. So it was 22 years and 11 months mm. from start to finish. There was 14 books in the main story, plus there's been a couple of prequels to that. Right. There's been comics uh, adaptations of the uh, mm-hmm. prequel and the first book. So there's been quite a lot of different things done with this. There's a role-playing system based on this this book. Right. There's um, mm-hmm. video games based on the story, mm-hmm. and it's set in that universe. Uh, there's also, over the last sort of 16 years, several times there's been the license is sold for, to various production companies with the aim of either a movie or a TV series. Mm. In fact, uh, last year, uh, Harriet, uh, the wife of the late author, she actually announced that the, a TV series has gone into production now, right. based on this. There was even Very a 30-minute um, episode aired on American TV uh, the, a, a year or two ago, mm. uh, but it was only like a 30-minute uh, adaptation of like the first bit of this the actual prologue right. and it seemed like at the time like it was just the company that had bought the rights needed to get something on screen so they could keep the rights yeah. rather than having them revert back so they okay. basically put something on at middle of the night when no one was watching <laughs> uh but he actually starred billy zane as one of the main characters yeah. so it was a little bit bit unusual yeah. um but yeah so it's got a huge following so just without going into too much detail because the scope of this story is immense I mean, compared, you know, compared to other sci-fi I've read, I would say this even, so other, other fantasy I've read, mm. I would say, it, for me, this even outdoes Tolkien. Well, uh, Tolkien this... is kind of the kind of first, in a way, of like the epic kind yeah. of fantasy. So, like, working from that, people are bound to kind of flesh it out, aren't they? Like yeah. the genre. Absolutely. Um... Um, and, I mean, I love Tolkien, and I love The Lord of the Rings, but... Uh, mm. What he's done here is created a world that's so enormous in scope, but it starts off quite small and centralised in this book. Mm-hmm. See, the plot for Eye of the World focuses on a group of young people mm-hmm. uh, from Emmons Field in the Two Rivers. Okay. And what happens is, uh, one of the characters, Moraine, who's an Aes Sedai, her and her warder, which is basically her guard, but they share a little bit of a telepathic link, a special bond sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come to the the village trying to find a young man that they believe is going to be the dragon reborn mm-hmm. meanwhile agents of the dark one the dark one are uh, coming t- to also try and find this young man okay. but they can't narrow it down to exactly who this one person is so they have three candidates three of the young men from the village mm-hmm. so what they have to do they have to take these three and they have to get out of there before right. the the dark the Dark Ones okay, minions so got, find them. Got three guys yep. of the one. And along with that, two of the girls from the village come with them, two of the young women. Mm. And a gleeman who is like a like a travelling bard 
mm-hmm. comes around, he plays songs, puts on little fireworks displays, sort of thing, that, that kind of character. He goes with them as well. And then the book of the uh, of the, this book focuses on their escape from Emmersfield and then their subsequent journey from there to the Aes Sedai city, which is Tarvalon. And it through that, they're constantly being hounded by the Dark One's minions and Dark Friends mm-hmm. and various monsters. Yeah, they're, they're ones who are, have allied themselves with the Dark One. Okay. So... They... not quite working for them just yeah. <laughs> everyone's got to have friends you know <laughs> yeah. even the dark one can get by with a little help from his friends <laughs> so, but uh, they're constantly being hounded and there's some really interesting sections in there where they've got real desperate attempts to escape being captured mm-hmm. and real acts of heroism um, and then the story from there as the series unfolds goes from being about this small group to this enormous scale with huge numbers of characters. Mm. But what it's done is in each book, this world's expanded a little bit and new characters to represent the new factions are, are added. Mm-hmm. And that continues with each passing book. Yes. So by the time you get to like book eight or book nine, if you've left it a year or two before you've you've read this, you're going to end up needing to go and check the glossary to, to double-check yeah. who some of these more minor characters yeah. are. Well, a lot because... of services do that, don't they? Because you're like... It seems like they've invented a new place and they've got mm. obviously got to have new characters coming from mm. that. But obviously, a lot of times it's been planned beforehand. Yeah. Just, it's just like, this is going to be about this country and then we're going to introduce this other one yeah. next time. So I imagine over the course of 14 books that would get very, very... It's, it's incredible. <laughs> Not all of these books were written directly by Robert Jordan because no, no. sadly he did pass away in 2007. Right. So September marks the 10 year, this year marks the 10 year anniversary of his death. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did leave because he knew he was going to, um, he'd got a terminal illness. He left quite a number of notes, mm-hmm. um, including some sections he'd wrote himself in the, for the various books. Right. Then his wife commissioned Brandon Sanderson who is another very well-known fantasy author. He is particularly well-known for probably the Mistborn series, which is another set of books which I'd highly recommend mm-hmm. you look at, so watch out for a time talk on that. Um, and again, a very, very talented writer. And you can sort of see at times where he's maybe wrote some bits and then mm-hmm. Jordan's maybe wrote some bits. Right. But overall, the flow of it, it just flows so well from um, Jordan's style to Sanderson's style. That there are so many parts in there where you probably, even if you were familiar with both authors, probably wouldn't be able to identify who wrote this, who wrote that, because it just mm. merges so well, the two styles. Um, and he wrote the last three books, so he wrote book 12, 13, and 14. I do think that with this, as I say, you've got a world unlike any other world that's mm-hmm. been created. Characters who are all very very strong in their own ways i mean i'd say this book has more female characters strong female characters in it than any sci-fi or fantasy book i've read before mm-hmm. i mean there there are characters in here like egwene and nineveh as, as time goes on and moraine who could give daenerys targaryen a, a lesson or two mm-hmm. they're you know really good characters uh but also some of the concepts in here it's not necessarily that some of them are incredibly unique, but the way he's adapted them is very unique. Okay. Um, one of the things I really like is the way that the Aes Sedai works. So, for example, in many fantasy books you have your Marge characters. Mm-hmm. In this, 
you've got the Aes Sedai, uh, and then in later times you've got other people, and they have the ability to channel uh, the One Power. Mm-hmm. Now, for women, it's called Sedar, and for men, it's called Sedin. But the way it affects them, the things that they can do are quite different mm-hmm. to one another, and when they interlink, there's things that they can do as time goes on that they they can uh, combine their strengths and abilities. But it effectively allows them to tap into this power source, which is incredibly powerful and mm-hmm. allows them to do wonderful things. Um, Binds all living things together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as I say, this is just a book which, for me, is almost like the benchmark for fantasy, mm-hmm. particularly for high fantasy. Um, and I've just not seen anything else or read anything else so far that comes into the scope of it. I mean, I love it that much I named my firstborn kid after one of the main characters in this book, mm-hmm. Perrin. Um, and me, Perrin, and my second kid all have uh, names of the three young men that were taken away from that village. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, you know, that just goes to show how much I... I personally love this book, how much it means to me. This is a very dog-eared book, and it's not even my first copy. No. <laughs> <laughs> to get a new one every now and then. Yeah, because I've read it so many times. It is, as I say, though, it is huge. I mean, the actual audio books for this, if you read the entire, if you listen to the entire series of audio books, it would take you 19 days, 5 hours, and 25 minutes. That is a lot of material. That is a lot, yeah. Over the 14 Is it all about the same guy, the... Um... The audiobooks, or do you get? I think so. Yeah, I can't I actually. I can't remember. I've listened like to some the... of them, but I've not listened to all the audio audiobooks because I I yeah. just tend to go back to because I've got all the, the books themselves, so I tend to go back and I like the physical having the book there in front of me. I was just thinking about when uh, Roger treated all of Game of Thrones and that. <laughs> I thought that, that you must be like tired of talking. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they they do let them have breaks. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like they don't they don't lock them in a room with the books and say you're not coming yeah. out till you're finished. <laughs> it's just probably. Well, I assume that. I mean, if if that's what they are doing, there is a serious serious labour issue here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You expect the voice to get all raspy by the end of it. But... Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sick of reading this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is it. This is just a book I can keep going back to and reading and rereading, and mm-hmm. I never get tired of it. And there's only. Yeah. There's a lot of books I love, but there's quite a few that I think, well, I really love that book, but I know all the twists and turns. I know what's going to happen. I know what the character's going to say. I, I'm not really that bothered about going back and rereading. Mm. But with these books, I can just reread and reread. And because there is so much detail in there, you tend to find that you're remembering more things with every every passing read as well. So it just be- becomes more of an experience as, as time goes by. Mm. So this is a book I would highly recommend if you like fantasy at all. It is just absolutely epic. Hopefully it will be being made into a TV series. And hopefully it will be the next Game of Thrones and not the next Legend of the Seeker. Yeah, because nobody knows what it is. Well, (laughs) some of us do, and we know it sucked. (laughs) So Matthew thought that was good. What are your thoughts? Let us know. And between the start of recording and this conclusion, something very interesting has happened. My butterflies have hatched. <laughs> we we yeah. now have butterflies in our bedroom. <laughs> Read into uh, that what you yeah. will. So <laughs> last week you had a jar of caterpillars, didn't you? And we did. Uh, yeah. yeah, they came in that little 
packet or something, didn't they? Or, or the jar? Yeah, they kind of come in a little tub and there's like five of them. Mm. And all of them, um, as far as we can tell, two have hatched and the others look like they've developed as well. So they, are they so. still there? Have they flown off or anything? Or they, no, they're in a big net. They're, they're inside nice. like so, a big... Yeah. To, habitat thing for yeah they have to oh, nice. um, have about three days for the right. to develop and then we release them into the wild <laughs> yeah so as we remembered we forgot to ask Heather what she was doing this week yeah uh, in the intro and yeah it turns out she's been raising <laughs> yeah, butterflies <laughs> yeah it's not so much that we didn't care what Heather had been up to or that, that we'd forgot it wasn't even so much that we'd forgotten to ask it was just we were interrupted by Tui and the Terrible again yeah at least he didn't come in here this time so yeah so. <laughs> How dare he hurt himself? <laughs> he was yeah. jumping off the sofa. <laughs> well, anyway, Matt's got his hat on, and you know what that means. It's yeah. the end of the show. It is. <laughs> oh, is that what that means now? <laughs> I just noticed it happens. It just appears there, and it's time to go. So. <laughs> we have to take it in turns. Yeah. Well, no, have... he doesn't share it. You, have... <laughs> you know him well. <laughs> you have to beware the hat of infinity. Yeah. You know, when the hat comes out, it's time. it's time to... Run and hide. Yeah, Cthulhu has told us it's. Maybe well, we can do that in day to day life if you're just sitting in here with your hat and have to back away slowly. You know something? I think know. that might be a memo that went round because you'd be surprised when I'm out and about with this hat on. How many space. people give me space? <laughs> yeah, funny that. Well, there we are. So that has been our episode of the Medicine Meeples. On our next one, a couple of things to look forward to. We're going to be talking about uh, the game of blame. A small card game that recently went through Kickstarter. We're going to be talking about uh, one of the Discworld board games, Ankh-Morpork. And Richard's going to be bringing us a book next time as well. And we'll be having some more interesting and relevant debates for you on the world of geek culture. So thank you for joining us for our show. Uh, Don't forget, you can find lots of audio podcasts and videos on our website, meadowsandmeeples.com. And thank you for joining us. Bye. 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 Farewell, Quester, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Grayskarn the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the Middlesome Meeples or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at Middlesome Meeples until next time Questa farewell and keep thine axe sharp